at the country's largest port at Mount Monganui, in amongst the huge international ships loading and unloading, is a vessel called Moana Chief. She doesn't look very special, but she is unique. She is the last New Zealand flagged ship doing the coastal route, and that's a big problem. Well, we used to have our own coastal shipping operation and up until the 1990s when it was, um, the government then deregulated it. We had a lot of container ships up and down the coast back then, um, 34 New Zealand flag ships, I believe. Today we've just got one of them, so that's a dramatic decline. Exporters, importers and just about everyone else linked to the industry say it has to change, and soon. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail, the push to revive a New Zealand-run coastal shipping service. Is it the answer to the supply chain crisis? Delays at ports right across the world will continue rippling through the economy. Any failure in any part of the supply chain causes a ripple effect um, right through. A report found a crisis in global shipping is causing increasingly major delays and pushing up prices. Shipping containers that used to cost about $4,500 can now cost more than five times that amount. Businesses can't rely on the cost of shipping, they can't rely on supply. It's really causing havoc right across the economy. There are many items that we have customers asking us for and begging us for that we just cannot get. A new report is out from Waka Kotahi looking at the Blue Highway as a solution. Newsroom Pro Managing Editor Jonathan Milne has been looking at the state of our domestic shipping and how it's dwindled from 34 to one vessel. The one we do have is, is not a big ship by international standards and in recent months it's been increasingly erratic. It's meant to sort of do a loop of the country every week but it really makes it round. Why do we lose them all? Essentially as the coastline was opened up to international shipping from the 1990s, the international shipping lines brought in big ships which required smaller crews and um, to be blunt overseas crews on lower wages. Steve Chapman, who headed Pacifica Shipping, says for years international companies have undercut any chance of local coastal shippers having a fair go. They've got empty space going, say, from example, Auckland or Tauranga through to Littleton, and they'll cut a spot rate that a dedicated coastal operator in all probability could not compete with. So they were able to be more cost-effective. What's been happening is that the international ships come in with their loads into um, Auckland, drop off the bulk of their load in Auckland, and then they continue on down the country and just drop off a little bit more and, you know, maybe in Wellington, maybe in uh, Littleton. But that's not always very cost-effective for them. And as supply chain delays have um, worsened over the past couple of years with COVID, they've been running behind on their schedules quite often and so they're just skipping those regional New Zealand ports. So when we talk about a coastal shipping operation, is that one that brings in goods from overseas and, as you say, drops them at at various ports around the country, or is it one that picks up and drops off New Zealand goods around the place, or is it a combination of both? It's a dedicated domestic shipping just around the New Zealand coast. The idea with coastal shipping is that the big international shipping lines like Maersk would still bring the 
cargo into Auckland or sometimes Tauranga. At present, most of the cargo, most of the imports come into Auckland and most of the exports go out of Tauranga, mm. which is actually the bigger port. But the the idea is, as proposed by this um, report from Wakakotahi to government, is that the a coastal shipping line operate a hub and spoke arrangement out of Auckland and Tauranga. So what we'd see them doing is the big freight would come in from the enormous international container ships would come into Auckland and then being redistributed onto the smaller ships and taken around the rest of the country down, you know, down New Plymouth, down Nelson, you know, on, on round Bluff and um, up the other side. And ultimately it would probably come back to Tauranga where, because they would be loading up as they go, they'd be loading up uh, petroleum products perhaps out of um, New Plymouth and of seafood out of Nelson and shipping it out of Tauranga on the big international container lines again. So at the moment, because, as you say, the whole global supply chain has been disrupted, what is going on? How has this the regional distribution been affected by this? So I guess it's a little bit like um, trying to catch connecting flights. Our importers and exporters rely on a chain of of shipping connections and sometimes air connections as well. And of course, um, when they get to New Zealand, road or rail connections. And so take the exporters, um, and I've been talking to Doug Paulin, who's the chief executive of Sea Lord. They have their cool stores full of frozen um, hokey and barracuda and um, uh, wait, waiting there ready to be shipped out. But right now, as we speak, the Moana chief is meant to be docking in Nelson. Will it? Won't it? They never quite know. And so Sealord will be sitting there with a cool store full of chilled containers ready to load onto the Moana chief. If it decides not to dock because it's running late, then they're stuck with a whole lot of fish that they, they can't get rid of. Even if they do get it onto the coastal shipping, onto the Moana chief or a couple of other Maersk boats that have also been doing the rounds lately, but those boats are running late, then they miss their international connection. So it's, it's just like making that connection at Auckland into the international airport between your domestic and international flight. If they don't make those connections, they're stuck, and it might be another week or another month or another three months before they can get their, um, their produce onto another container ship out to China, Singapore, North America, wherever their um, export markets are. And what happens to the fish? What happens to the seafood? Well, fortunately, and I asked Doug Paulin about this at Sea Lord, fortunately they haven't being caught too badly um, and you know the frozen fish will keep for a little while um, so they've been able to you know get it out a week or two later and um, no harm done but at some point that's not going to work out. Doug tells me that they've got eight cool stores they're using around the South Island present and they're, they're just about at capacity chock full of frozen fish and if something doesn't give soon then they are going to have one of those um, crises where they're not actually going to be able to get their, their shipments out. They're not going to be able to fulfil international waters, and that's really bad for New Zealand business, not to mention a waste of fish. Absolutely. So these ships, these shipping companies like Mesk or even the Pacifica's shipping company, they say that they're going to arrive, but are they? is there no sort of legal requirement for them to stick to the schedule? 
No, there's um, uh, they've got waivers again. Coming back to that comparison with um, flights, an airline can cancel a plane on you, and if if you haven't got insurance to cover yourself, then you're liable to end up out of pocket. It's just the same with shipping. And New Zealand producers, because we're right at the end of the line, right down at the bottom of the world, I think we're more vulnerable than others around the world to those vagaries of, of international shipping. It's by the time they get down here, <laughs> if they're going to be running behind a schedule anywhere, it's, it's when they get right down to the bottom of the South Pacific and they're going to have time to make up. Um, and um, ducking on down to Littleton probably isn't going to be their top priority. Rather than going around multiple ports, picking up a few containers here and there, I'm sure some of these shipping companies would be quite happy to, for instance, go to a particular port, drop all their cargo, pick all the cargo up and then leave. The New Zealand trade line pales into insignificance when compared to those two big trade lines here out of Asia. And the New Zealand public are paying for it. Can COVID, the last two years of the pandemic, be entirely to blame for this shipping problem affecting New Zealand, the coastal shipping problem? No, it's been worsening since before COVID arrived. And we've got some massive technological factors that are contributing. So the Panama Canal has been widened, essentially. It's been expanded so that bigger ships can get up and down at these passing bays, that sort of thing. What that means is that the kind of container ships that they used to build are not being built anymore around the world. So what that means is that New Zealand regional ports were built for container ships of a certain size. Uh, the, the container ships that are now being built are much bigger, much bigger. And um, they won't actually fit into New Zealand ports anymore, into New Zealand regional ports. They're too long. They won't turn around. Sometimes there's not enough draft in the channels. Uh, so we're going to increasingly see that um, these big ships can't dock in New Zealand ports. So we're going to need some backup solutions like smaller container ships that can get around, either that or a massive investment in port infrastructure to um, upsize the ports um, for these bigger container ships. And that will often mean build, building docks further out into harbours and, and bays. And we know how what the public reaction is going to be to that when ports come, come and say, you know, I want to extend my um, dock out an extra 50, 100 metres. Mm. So getting our own service up and running is seen as, as a cheaper solution and, and less controversial, I guess. Yeah, and, and look, just to give you some comparisons, those big evergreen container ships, they're the, they're the biggest ones in the world, like the one that got stuck. One of the world's biggest container ships blocking the Suez Canal, one of the world's most vital trade routes. And at around 200,000 tonnes and over 400 metres long, the container, well, it's going to take some shifting. Those can carry the equivalent of 24,000 20-foot containers. Now, the Moana Chief, New Zealand's only container ship, can carry the equivalent of 1,700 20-foot containers. So it's not even a fraction. It's not even not even a tenth of the size of uh, one of those big ones. So we're talking a, a different language entirely. Maersk has brought in a couple of container ships that it's been uh, doing occasional loops or spoken hub arrangements out of Tauranga and Auckland on. That's where Sea Lord and Sanford have been getting a lot of their frozen fish onto the Maersk ships. That's essentially a goodwill gesture by Maersk to keep their local customers happy um, because they see that the regional customers haven't been able to get their produce up to Tauranga to be exported to China and North America. 
but it's a begrudging step by Maersk. Uh, it's not very cost-effective for them. These ships are detouring from their usual Pacific routes, and it's not going to be a sustainable solution. Maersk is going to see it as worth its while to keep on doing that. So New Zealand is going to need to find its own solution. And frankly, we need to find a solution pretty quickly, and it's difficult to see how that can be done because these are big, slow solutions. The government has budgeted um, in its National Land Transport um, Plan $30 million for coastal shipping. That wouldn't even buy a ship, though, would it? Exactly. It wouldn't even buy half a ship, Sharon. And um, the Maritime Union had been pushing for New Zealand to basically set up a government-owned coastal shipping line again. That's not going to happen. There's no political will to do that, and the kind of money that would be involved was much more significant than $30 And there's a a report that's been commissioned by Waka Kotehi, and that looks at how that $30 million could help with coastal shipping. And it's more likely to be some kind of underwrite or um, or profit guarantee. This Waka Kotahi report, does it identify how many ships are actually needed for a coastal shipping operation? It's not so much about, obviously, the actual ship as the sailings. There is talk in the Waka Kotahi report of getting up to three sailings a week. Doug Paulin at Sea Lord says that would be massive, that'd be fantastic from their point of view, Um, rather than one unreliable sailing a week if they had three reliable sailings a week where they know that their frozen fish will be loaded into a a ship and taken up to Tauranga to be exported that would um, make their business a lot more sustainable a lot more secure What we do as a as an industry, we're actually party to a a big source of world pollution, and that we're standing on the sidelines while the planet is quietly choking. And uh, I don't think that's a good thing. That's Chris Dumphy, head of Move Logistics, talking to RNZ's Kim Hill recently. He's already running a vessel with freight services between ports such as Nelson, New Plymouth and Whanganui and has plans to expand. He wants to be part of a coastal shipping revival using greener fuels and he thinks there should be higher road charges on diesel-powered vehicles. It's just really about how do we change the narrative around what the relative cost is of doing something that we know is really not good long-term for the planet. Uh, And really, the road user comment was more directed to the fact that in order for hydrogen to be given a fighting chance, and and electric too, frankly, for the the big tasks uh, or bigger tasks, that there is an opportunity for government to have a differentiation in the road user charges setting. There's a lot of work to be done around emissions um, for shipping, just as there is for railway and for trucking. Um, but they've kind of got a head start because they carry a lot more cargo per vessel. There's a couple of things they're trying to do. Um, so what, what you need to understand is that the International Maritime Organisation has committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from international shipping by at least 50% by 2050. And we'd expect um, the same to be true of coastal shipping. And there's quite a strong emphasis on reaching zero emissions there. That's a massive reduction because on current tracks, on business as usual, they're on track to about triple um, by 2050. Instead, they need to slash it down from about 1,000 million tonnes down to, ideally, down to zero. 
at worst down to 500 million tonnes. There's a couple of ways of doing that. The obvious way is around fuels. You're not going to see pure electric boats. You know, you're not going to see your Nissan Leaf equivalent in the um, international shipping or even coastal shipping. What you will see is a mix of big onboard batteries that can be recharged in port and electrofuels like green hydrogen. And bear in mind that, you know, if, if Meridian and Contact um, proceed with their proposal to replace TY Point um, down in Bluff with a green hydrogen production facility, that's going to be right next to a port that where ships will be able to refuel with green hydrogen and also ship it around the world. And also, of course, we're going to see biofuels, and that's probably the bigger part of the solution for for shipping, certainly for international shipping. And again, New Zealand is doing a bit of work around biofuels. We're not producing them to any great scale yet, but um, there is work being done, and we're creating our biofuels with forestry waste. They will unlock the potential of our regional ports, moving freight out of those ports into the bigger hub ports, if you like, but also the major issue of actually moving re-resisting containers out of, for instance, the Auckland market to the regions where they're needed for our exports. So there's a win-win in this for everyone. I just think we need to get on with it. Why has it got to this? As you say, it's, you know, something urgently needs to be done. Is it all back on the government? It's really a case of too hard, and we had to get to a pretty critical situation, as we have now with COVID, before there was any significant movement. And to be blunt... We're not there yet either. Um, I was looking back, and Annette King, as Minister of Transport, about oh, 15 years ago, commissioned us a report that came up with some very similar findings and some very similar proposals to the one that's just been produced by Waka Kotahi, and nothing came out of that. We didn't make any progress towards um, reinvigorating coastal shipping in New Zealand as a result of that report. So it has to be some concern as to whether this report will go anywhere faster. There's some real infrastructure challenges. I mean, I talked about the challenges of getting bigger container ships in. Even with coastal shipping and smaller container ships, there's challenges like New Zealand doesn't have its own big dry dock, you know? So uh, in order to in order to maintain a container ship, you have to send it over to Australia or Singapore. It's the same with the inter-island of ferries, and we saw what happened there when a couple of their... Um, uh, their ships broke down recently and they had to be sent over to Australia to be um, mended. Um, So it's a real threat to New Zealand's domestic supply chain and it's expensive and it emits a lot of carbon dioxide sending um, ships across across the ocean to be maintained and fixed up. There's no cheap solutions. There's no easy solutions. And really what this Wakakatahi report is about is providing a little bit of assistance, a little bit of financing, a little bit of underwriting to make it slightly more cost-effective for private, the private sector to do it. No serious likelihood coming out of this report that the government will pick up all the cost itself. And is everybody in support of it? Yeah, it's pretty broad. Um, some of the, uh, interestingly, and this, this may surprise you, um, uh, some of the ports are dubious. They're not actually sure that it's going to be cost-effective, and I think they just see it as a little bit sort of pie in the sky and a distraction from finding more immediate solutions. It would be fair to say that some of the bigger ports would like to be expanding and and be able to take those bigger container ships, but I really can't see how they're going to finance that. Will this solve the whole big 
shipping mess that we're in at the moment where costs have gone through the roof, where ships seem to be sitting, sitting I don't know where, and nobody knows when their next parcel that they've ordered online is going to arrive. The bigger problem is an international one, uh, the global supply chain, and that's not going to be mended, obviously, by a better New Zealand coastal shipping chain. But a lot of those global challenges are in response to COVID and border closures and tighter controls at borders. So there's good grounds to hope that as the world gets moving a little bit more in terms of COVID, just as we're allowed to start travelling internationally again, we might also be able to speed up our supply chains a little bit more internationally. Um, so there's, that, that will help at the global end. Coastal shipping solutions will certainly help at the New Zealand end. But as you say, there is some urgency to this, but we don't know when things will change. I mean, could it happen as quickly as next year that we'll get at least an improved coastal shipping service? Well, look, the budget, the $30 million is budgeted for 2021 to 24. Um, so that's three years from now. So there's obviously the intent from the government to get stuff running and this uh, uh, pretty much immediately. It's just really difficult to see how they could easily do that. I think their best chance is going to be in offering assurances to the big companies that they can operate more cost-effectively continuing their ships around New Zealand. But there's not a whole lot of small, mid-sized container ships floating around. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode and Jeremy Ansell engineered it. And thanks to Jonathan Milne. Kakite. Ka